Hey guys, hope everyone's doing really well. Today on the cast, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Adam Naylor. He is a sports psychology consultant who has worked with anywhere from professional athletes all the way up to Fortune 500 executives. Really interesting chat today, and I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, I was like, this is weird. Like, I don't even want to be in here. You know, it's, I don't know. I, I appreciate my good fortune that I can keep working without having to be around too many people, but yeah, still it's like, whew, you know? So what, what is besides, besides teaching, what, what is your official title? That was one thing I wanted to ask. That's a great about. question. That's a great <laughs> question. Um, and it's okay if it's nuanced too. I don't even know if it's nuanced, right? Like, I don't even know if I use a title these days because I basically work for myself at this point. You know, it's, uh, I had someone say to me the other day, in charge not of the stuff. other day, said, Hey, you're, you're a free agent. That's must be great. I'm like, and it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah so I basically, there's two stages of my life, right? So I, I have my private practice or my business where, right. I don't know, I go by either lead consultant, mental game professional, player development consultant, sports psychology consultant, you know, whatever. Like, as long as they're not calling me asshole, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> um, and then I, I do a lot of leadership consulting where they actually, in that space, I'm often called a, I find it a funny title, but mental resilience coach. Um, like, cool. hey, again, call me whatever you want. So it's like, I really have these two sides of my life right now. My my sports side and my corporate leader side, which I, I, I laugh that, I can even say that out loud because that was never the plan. Did you see, yeah, I was going to say, did you see yourself even in the realm of, of corporate mental performance? Uh, it, it's funny. <laughs> You'll get a kick out of this. Um, so way back when, when I got into the field, they're true. Like sports psychology, historically, it's grown a lot. It still has some spaces to go, but I swear when I got into it, it was like everyone loved me at cocktail parties, but no one can find their wallet. So I'm like, wow, this would be an interesting way to make a living. And there were literally no jobs posted. Yeah. Right Right now, there's a ton of people in baseball and this and that. It was like there was one at the USOC and maybe one other if you're not going just strictly into academia. So a lot of people would end up going right into kind of the corporate space to be, I don't know, whatever you call it. And my bad joke forever is like, I'm not going to do that. It's a bunch of failed sports psych people in the corporate space. Like I, it was like, like, you know, your, your bands in college, uh, I'm not going to sell out. And yeah, then, you got some guys turning heads to you now. <laughs> right. Ironically, it was, um, what was I going to say? It was a couple of years ago, people would see me do coach lectures and they'd come up at the end and go, I need you for my business. I'm like, okay, you're a nice guy, <laughs> sure. And then it was three and a half years ago or four, three and a half, four, maybe now, um, Deloitte Consulting. So like the global consulting firm, like giant, one of the, the big four. Um, their lead psychologist calls me up. I remember at that time I was on faculty at BU and she said, hey, I think we need someone like you for our, our leaders. Huh. I'm like, huh? Well, like, who is this? Like, who's this lady? You know, and I love her. She and I talk to the day. Like, all she wants to do is talk Texas football because she's from Texas. And I think she just wanted a sports psych person to add to her consulting. Right. Please. And we're chatting. She says, No, I think it's a, these people I deal with and support, they don't need clinical mental health work, but they operate under outrageous amounts of stress because they're in client services. And I think you'd resonate with them and the type of people you work with, you'd understand them well. I'm like, yeah, we'll see. And honestly, sure enough, it, it might be some of the most, most enjoyable work. Wow. It's incredibly challenging because they're very bright people. You can't, you can't pass BS off on them. Right. And they're really good people. Like they, they don't want trite things. So it's, uh, 
so I've moved into it, I guess you might say on my terms or in the right space, which is really interesting. And right. this woman too, you'll get a kick out of this. It's being recorded. So this is a riot. Um, <laughs> she said, I'm on the phone. I brought in three other people that work somewhat similar to me. And, and she said, just so you know, gang, don't screw this up. These people are more valuable to us than the starting pitcher of the Red Sox. No way. Yeah. And, and, and this was <laughs> my an thought. Introduction. Like, uh, and maybe this is where I'm at, at the stage of my career. I was like, cool, let's do this. I was like, oh, yeah. good. This sounds like a good challenge. So to me, it really it actually put my sport life in perspective. I tried not to be too flippant in the sport life. I'm like, I love who I work with, but let's grab perspective. You know, right. this person's in charge of a billion dollar account. Like there, there's some issues on the line here if she screws it up. So it's, yeah, it's not, it's not like, it's not like messing up the the, the opening pitch or something like no, that. It's, it's been the right fit, you know? So it's one That's of those cool. where I say I, I'm lucky where I, I kind of do it on my terms right now. And uh, I'll try and remain idealistic. If it ever feels inappropriate or selling out or something, I'll, I'll raise my hand elsewhere, but it's yeah. been a great fit. Did it, did it ever feel like you mentioned like how, how smart some of these guys were. Um, yeah. and not feeding them, not feeding them like bullshit. Did it ever feel yeah. like, um, did it ever feel like they, they felt like you were selling them snake oil almost like you were selling them a kind of a quick fix, even though, you know, it's not, but, um, how, how did you kind of address like those feelings? Well, well I think that's a great question. And that honestly has been something I, I'm, I've taken a lot of pride in. I think I've gained even further confidence in the last couple of years. Cause I don't think anyone sees me that way. Mm. So there's an irony and maybe it's either a boldness or just practicing my craft for so long where people often ask for the quick fix. Even these bright people, they're like, okay, what are our action items and how will we know we get there? And <laughs> maybe I'm dumb enough or bold enough. Like, Oh, ha, ha. I, I probably make fun of them. I'm like, cool. The action item question. Why don't we decide that at the end of our first meeting? And I'll bet you it'll evolve over time. Yeah. So I think the fact that I even pull back, and don't offer that and add the depth is right. what does it, but it takes that time. Right. Cause I think it, it, now you got me babbling. It was really interesting right before the holidays. Maybe it's cause everyone was going into like rest and reflect mode. People were like, Hey, do you have a book you can recommend? Like they actually, <laughs> I wasn't being asked those things until we built the relationship. Right. Right. Which I really, and I think that's part of, um, flack by word, their intelligence that they weren't looking for a quick fix out of the gate. Right. They were like, hey, I want a sounding board, a support system, and we'll figure out where we have to go over time. To me, that's right. a super mature way of attacking it, but it's tough for us to appreciate that, right? Yeah, and I feel like it, it sounds like your approach is definitely to come off as, as genuine as you possibly can, just right off the bat. Um, the only way I know how to do it at this point. Well, and I, I, I did get that, you know, even when you introduced yourself in the first class. Um, you know, everyone has kind of this image of who the psych guy is going to be. I mean, my, my father is a psychiatrist. So, so like, that's my go-to image. Um, you know, quiet dude, funniest guy I know when he gets, you know, when he has the Mets or the giants in front of him, he's the loudest guy, you know? So, um, but again, like, you know, he's my father, he's the most genuine person I know. So I felt like, like that, is that kind of your approach with clients too? Yeah, I think so. You know, it really is, right? And it's, it, it, this is who I am, right? Yeah. In a lot of ways. I, I think I'm highly professional, right? I, I do, I think in my space, and, and you've seen in the 
in the sports space, I think there's a lot of people trying to build what I call cheap relationships, meaning yeah. they name drop real quick or they go, look who I am or look what I'm wearing. And yeah. I get it, right? Because we all want to be wanted, yeah. but it doesn't create a wor- what I call working alliance, right? What this space calls it, it creates this fake relationship. You know? Yeah, especially in yeah. such a, like a network heavy industry, yeah. right? Right, uh, that's... You know, that's preached like day and night. I'm sure it is in, in your field too a little bit where it's like, hey, man, you got to go out and like find some names. But then like you were saying about where's the line of, of becoming, you know, uh, not be not being idealist anymore. Where's the line of, of I'm not genuine to like who I want to be. I'm just seeking to throw names out of, your, out of my mouth. Exactly what you said. Yeah. It's just, it's a quest to be liked, right? It's, it's, you know, it's really like, well, if I say that, maybe they'll like me. And it's trying to speed it up. But I think it's a lot of our insecurity coming out sometimes. And then you even saw it in the course when when I talk about exercise adherence. I also know if you try and force something on someone, Mm. you'll get resistance. Right. So just knowing the science is like, I might, you know, I got bookshelves full of books. I can tell you how to be mentally tough, but I know that will not be sticky. It's not right. going to work. Um, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it, I am just who I am again, highly professional. I do. There's certain principles I try to be very wary of, like, you know, in the psych world, you're not supposed to really self-disclose too much. And that that's for good reason, right? Because then right. you end up making it about you as opposed to the person you're sitting with. Right. But sometimes people oh, tell me more about you. I'm like, oh, what's the right line and how much am I wasting time on myself? Cause it's actually about you. But a lot of people love to talk about themselves, I think, for comfort reasons, you know? Yeah, I think I think it re- reassures them that they're still being, they think they're still being genuine, right? Yeah. So if, if I start telling something, like an athlete, something more personal about me, um, you know, it, it, reaff- right? it would reaffirm to myself that, you know, oh, I actually don't, like, do know who I am, and thus I know what yeah. I'm doing with this athlete. I think it can make us com- it can make us feel too. Again, it gives this sense of I might know something, right? Sometimes when we say, well, you, well, you think about in your space, if one's dealing with an injured athlete, what's an easy go-to move? Well, I had the same injury. Right. And okay. in some instances, that could be helpful. In others, though, we always got to think about how, who's on the other side of it, right? In others, it could be like, why the heck are they talking about their injury? What about me? Right. right. So accidentally, when we slip ourselves in too quickly, it actually creates a resistance, but we don't realize that most mm. people want it's about them. If you're, you know, if you're in the helping profession, we have to remember it's about the other person, not us. Right. So that it's, it's, it's an interesting point because we talk about like how you should approach a room almost. Right. So he, even if you are like a fun outgoing guy, like maybe you want to pull on the reins a little bit. So how, how do you think like uh, from like a strength and conditioning perspective um, that plays into like your first interactions with a team or with an athlete? Uh, that's a, a great question. I think, well, I think you, I'm going to jump off what you just said there, this idea of the room idea. Yeah. I think we want to have enough awareness to figure out what did I do to the room when I came in? Right. Right. That's self-awareness. Right. Right. This, you know, strength coaches can have a some, right. Can have this bigger than life personality, which can be wonderful. 
but it can also go, there's no space in this room for anyone else all of a sudden. Okay. Yeah. Right. And it's this yeah. interesting self-awareness because I certainly think we all have to operate in our personality and God knows I love, I, I get a great, for lack of a better word, I don't know if you get a kick out of the strength coach with the big personality, <laughs> but when it's just about them and their personality, I'm like, you didn't leave any space in this room for anyone else. Right. Right. Is that personality enthusiasm supporting me as an athlete? Is that going, are they cheering me on? Are they going, I love you, man, let's keep doing this. Or is it about, hey, look how big and bold I am. Right. And by the way, you work out for me, right? It's that you work out for me as opposed to we create this alliance. Right, you know, even at the end, like, all right, clean up my weight room. Like something yeah. simple like that, that kind of takes away the autonomy from them. It's a subtlety. I don't think anyone means to do it that way, but I think when that energy is used to create a community, hmm. it's so cool. And yeah. I think we want to be aware when it's we're, when are we doing it for ourselves or when are we doing it for the space? Yeah. Right. Why, why do you think we, so like we talked about for a second, like you think of someone who's in psych, you have an image of them, right? Yeah. Like you have your, your quintessential psych guy, whatever. Um, and then you kind of have your quintessential like strength coach, like big, oh God. big loud yeah. strength coach guy. So why, why do you think that um, professionals feel like they need to fit that persona? Do you think it's uh, a product of, of the field being so competitive and, and people wanting to hold on to this ownership for as long as they can? Um, or do you think it's just, just simply how it's always been? Um, I don't know. I think that's a tough question with a lot of layers to it. Probably, yeah. Oh, it's got right? a million layers to it. Um, my from experience over the years, my guesses would be a couple things. One, we model what we see. Yeah. Right. Model what we see. So we, we learn from others. Um, a honestly, you know what? It's kind of good fun in some ways, right? It's like, yeah. Hey, that's a fun way to carry myself, right? <laughs> Kick in the door and, and, and shout it up a little bit like that's yeah. kind of fun. So I think there's an element of that. I think there's an element of, if we think strength and conditioning, I think I'd look developmentally at a coach. How do they evolve over time? Mm. Right? I think a lot of the bombastic nature tends to shrink over time or it gets refined. What does my bombastic look like? Right? Mm -hmm. I think early on it's, it's an accidental immature one. And then I think we have to throw the final piece out there. We are in a day and age of right. Social media and trying to sell stuff. Right. Stuff sells. Right. I, I, my big joke is I'd love to find time to write a book someday, but you know, you go through Barnes and Nobles, a lot of books, with a lot of profanities on the titles and the inside stinks, but they sell well. Yeah. Right. It's like, there is a, there's a sell to it, which, you know, I'll go back and forth, teach their own. I, you know, as I said, I, I enjoy it some days, but when it's taking away from the athlete, the exerciser, right. I'm like, well, that's just a load of crap then. Yeah. You failed at your job interesting interesting have you have you have you worked with with many of these loud loud type strength coaches in, in your uh in your tenure oh god you <laughs> it know. sounds like you got some experience with them I, oh it's so funny right like how, I, like how do you how do you even approach them when it's like hey man like love what you're doing but this kid's not liking it yeah it, it, it's funny right because it depends like right that becomes the self-awareness piece and the ego piece Right. So I, I've actually worked with somewhere they are that intense and 
athletes will talk to me and go, for God's sakes, would they get off my back when I'm injured? Would they get off my back <laughs> when I'm on the bike? And I'll kind of mention it to the coach and the coach will be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. <laughs> and then they'll go back to doing it again. I'm like, no, no, I'm trying, I swear to you, I'm trying to help out with it. So in some ways, I think there's that developmental piece where you got to trust yourself. And then there's, yeah, I have. And, and for the most part, they're lovely every now and then. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, I think the issue is we haven't perfected caffeine quite yet. No, we haven't. And you know, you got to figure out what we all got to figure out. I don't know. I don't know what what kind of language we can use in your podcast here, but we got to figure out what badass looks like. Oh, you can use whatever you want. I I will share my (laughs) favorite. uh, He's a friend. And I say that I I need to catch up with him. I'm not sure I've caught up with him in the pandemic is Matt Shaw. I might Matt Shaw. He's out at the university of Denver. I think he's now officially a director of sports performance, but he's a strength coach. And I've known Matt since he was an undergrad at BU. So he actually did some, some like kind of pilot studies on, you know, actually a lot of the stuff on empowering athletes in the weight room and whatnot. But Matt's like, he's a stocky. He looks like a straight coach. Yeah, and yeah. years ago, I thought it was the best move. He, there was a picture taken of him wherever Denver was going. I think he, he was serving Denver hockey at the time. And they took one of these small puddle jumpers and somehow someone shot a picture of him walking off the plane. Like, so you can picture the strength coach. He probably had like sunglasses, but yeah, he's walking off the plane. I'm like, Oh, that's hilarious. And then someone Photoshopped in like a bomb going off behind him. I'm like, that's the best. I'm like, that's spectacular. Like Like Michael Bay. Like that, like that, that is the most spectacular image of strength coach. My I've ever seen. So that's awesome. You know, I can to- I totally appreciate it as long as someone cares about the athletes. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I love that. I love that. You that's too funny. You need to laugh at it, right? Yeah, you need to. You need to. I think. That, I mean, that's got to be the biggest thing. If if you can laugh at the times that you're being not you. Yeah, or being you, like a cartoon, purposely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or being you with four espresso shots. I mean. <laughs> I'm t- if we figure out how to how to like hone in on caffeine so that it's a legal like a legal way of I don't even know it's just like you, you okay. can sometimes you have too much sometimes you have too little it's never the right amount yeah I don't know so now we're going totally geeky and you knew I was gonna drift towards geeky oh I, yeah I knew we you were. gotta somehow I wanted us to you gotta reach out to Sam Marcora somehow Sam Marcora He's a leading scientist, uh, physiologist in um, endurance sports. And I saw him lecture a few years ago. A, the guy is hilarious if you can appreciate his humor. But he was looking at how do I keep people enduring longer? So he'd look at like, ah, self-talk could help. He said, the only thing that helps endurance is caffeine. And he was literally giving people caffeine pills. So he was literally dosing caffeine in his experiments. That's awesome. Your guy, you might just have to reach out to him and go, Hey, you know, you you can follow him on Twitter. I swear. All he talks about is motorcycles, Brexit and endurance sports. So you decide whichever (laughs) one you want to hear, but that was the thing from England. He's a, I want to say he's Italian. He's a lecturer in England. And uh, just, I, I, you'll appreciate this because you like good life. He, it was a, he was at B, he was guest lecturing at BU one lecture and he's talking about, he was sharing some insights on why people don't exercise and exercise regularly. Yeah. And somehow he showed a picture and somehow, um, now I'm blanking the name. Come on. The comic book superhero. That's profane all the time. Uh, 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 come on, Adam. It's good. Come to me. You know, ah, uh, 
Give me some keywords. Give me some keywords. Guy, he's got like two knives, and you know, his, his, when his limbs get chopped, they cut, they grow back. I'll bet something like that. Come on. Oh, this is killing me. Here, we'll get it. We'll red get mask, it. red and black mask. You're good. No one die laughing. Limb regrowth. Is no, it one of the X Men? Yeah. What's it? he? He's related to the X Men, sort of, or something. Let's see. Let's see. Come on. Is Aquaman? No, 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 no. Come on. Oh, this is gonna kill us both. Oh. Red and black mask. Um, there's been two movies and, and they're slightly inappropriate so i'm not sure i've let my daughter oh, watch um, both yet yeah yeah uh, right? oh no now i'm gonna be mad because i'm not gonna be able to think of it um you spend the rest of the time trying to figure this out oh my god what was his name they yeah they made a christmas special one too yep um oh had, come on who played him not ryan ryan reynolds yeah 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 that was him okay it's um deadpool Deadpool, exactly. Yeah, so, there we go. Okay, so when a high-level exercise physiologist can drop Deadpool into his presentation, to me, that's oh, a winner. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That, that, that's a winner, right? Like, he, he took some significant time highlighting something related. That's awesome. Wait, That means how? you got swagger, too. You got to have... If you're talking about Brexit, caffeine, and Deadpool, you have a little bit of swagger. Yeah, it's definitely enough. As as much as you possibly can. So, so he, did, he did an endurance study... And he, he was using self-taught caffeine, was he using anything well, else? Well, he's done a ton of them, right? So you'd have right. to go, like, that is his life, is doing the research on. Actually, as we're, we're riffing here, the book Endure, I don't know if you've grabbed it by um, Hutchinson. Yeah, yeah, Great yeah. Great book. Basically, Hutchinson um, talks about Marcora, and now I'm blanking the other guy's name, who are almost like battling scientists in this space of how do you endure better. Right. And... Uh, and half of it's about Mark Hora's research. And it's just, he's a bright guy. He's a funny guy. You know, I learned a lot. I, I yeah. sat there for, and honestly, exercise adherence is not his number, his favorite topic to talk on. He's like, well, they asked me to talk on it, so I'll talk on it. Right. He wanted to talk about this idea of how do you find that extra 10, 5% endurance wise. Even, even 1%. I mean, 1% yeah. over the course of, these guys are going for hours. Yeah. Cause we all naturally break down. Like that's the thing. Like humans are built right. to stop at a certain spot. Right. And how do we get into that? He, he looks at a psychobiological model. So that's why I was really interested. He ties in the physiology and the psychology nicely to go, this is what we're trying to short circuit to steal a little bit more endurance. I wonder, do you know if, and it's okay if you don't know, but did they do like a, um, like a period of time where they just weren't taking any caffeine at all. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I, yeah. I, the 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 amount of study and research yeah. he's done on this is there'd be a, there's a ton there. Like, that's a rabbit hole you could lose yourself in for years. Oh, probably. absolutely. Have you you read any like Michael Pollan's books? A little. I don't remember. Like years ago, I read one of them. I haven't read all of them. He um, they're great. They're they're just fun to read. They're they're kind of like, um. Kind of like very, very good investigative journalism, more or less. I mean, he talks a lot. Um, and but he did a, an audible special um, about caffeine, huh. and it was just interesting because, uh, you know, we all kind of take it for granted like you wake up, you get a cup of coffee, but the reality is important topic in your life, Sam. The more we're listening here, yeah, <laughs> what caffeine, yeah, it seems pretty, pretty high on the list of importance. It, it really, it really has been like pretty high on the list recently. Um, but he pretty much just talking about how like we're all universally just addicted to it. <laughs> so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see like 
if those runners went through a period of of not you know being on it for yeah. some time and then all of a sudden taking it for yeah. um that trial yeah. i'm gonna be careful going to you have to read it close because it, it's literally he was dosing it it, it was I'm, I'm sitting here going like this is this is true science where it's dosing caffeine it's not wow. going to grab your espresso right. right no he was he was keeping it on check you know so not not to advocate caffeine pills on your nightstand or anything but hey i don't think i'm gonna be a, a great runner anytime soon maybe in the next life we'll see <laughs> that might be next what do you do uh fitness wise uh, that's a, a big thing that's a fabulous question so um a uh, the pandemic's been tremendous because I actually use the bike that's here in my office. Oh yeah. So um, no, I actually that that's my biggest thing these days. You know, I ride the bike in my office. It, it's been nice. If I haven't, I won't schedule it rigidly. I'm not a rigid guy, but my goal is to get on five days a week. And uh, my family laughs. Apparently, when I ride my bike, I like to um, watch Netflix with <laughs> profanities and guns involved somehow. <laughs> like I don't know what that says about me because I swear that's not what I watch other times. But you know. I, been through all the seasons of narcos you know you, you name it apparently that Just is riding the bike. tv <laughs> who would have guessed like look at me soft little me you know ride the bike to, to violence and subtitles apparently is, is my thing yeah um, you're like you're like the strength coach walking off the airplane yeah, the, uh, exactly. you're just riding away from the explosions maybe in a former life maybe a former life but then I, I play a fair amount of tennis i've been playing and again pandemic's been great because it's a sport you can distance so i i'll try yeah. to play tennis I was once a week when the weather's warm and you know, I got a surfboard. I live by the beach. So I'm really good at falling off of that, but wow. I don't like cold water. So there's a problem there. So, you know, I live near cold water. And so I surf yeah. twice a year, probably only when it's like 5,000 degrees out. And you'll have to teach me to surf. That's, that's been on the list for me. Well, I'm the wrong guy. I'm the wrong guy. As I said, I'm good at falling <laughs> off my board. Well, maybe I want to learn to fall off. I got to do that first. If you want a great shoulder workout, I'm your guy. I chase waves like crazy, then fall <laughs> off the board and have to get back on. Like, if I, if the best shape I will be in at this age of my life is if the weather's decent and I try and surf. Like, cool. there's no doubt. Best, best exercise in the world for me. That's awesome. No, I, I, I like just like being in the water, honestly. There's something nice about it. Even just I, waiting there. You'll, you'll get a kick out of this. So, again, um, so my subtle claim to fame that not many people know is one of my clients won. Um, now, now I'm blanking the name of the show again. Uh, the Come on. Losing my mind. Was it for surfing? Well, you'll see in a second where this goes. No, no, no. no. You know what, I mean? <laughs> um, what is it? Where the, the Shark Tank. Oh, okay. Shark Tank. Ready for this, though? So yeah. I found this out years later. It was an athlete I worked with. Um, he was a hockey player up at Dartmouth, and then he went on. He had, a, he had a nice little minor league career, right, for a long time. Yeah. But he was a bright guy. He got his business degree. His last three years playing pro hockey, he spent his summer surfing in New Hampshire huh. instead of going to the gym. And he was like, this is such an incredible workout. So he created, you Google it, Surf Set Fitness. Huh. It's like a BOSU ball with a surfboard on it. And he won Shark Tank for it. So they invested in him for a while. And no it way. kind of cracked me up. So I'm like, wow, you know. I'm looking I it up I right now. with a hockey player, not a winning entrepreneur. Did they buy it outright? Or they bought like a percent? Oh, this is pretty cool. Whatever. Well, yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. It's, uh, I, I don't think it's a really, it was before the big, you know, think about it, it was before the big um, craze of, home fitness equipment that right. has now hit but it looks like it's a, kind of like, a cool idea 
Yeah, it looks like one of those Wii Fit boards almost. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> it, it was it was literally, it was exactly what you say, said. I thought it was a tremendous workout, kept me in great shape, had me in hockey shape. I was flexible, I was fluid, I was strong. Yeah. Hmm, maybe I can make a bit of a career out of this. And I think he cobbled, somehow probably, you can't imagine what the first prototype looked like, you know. Yeah, he the surfboard on it. it sounds that's, perfect. That's probably all he did. Most of us, yeah. Yeah. That's probably literally all he did. Well, that's wicked had, cool. Yeah, so something a little different. So he was he was one of your was he one of your corporate or he was one of your like he was one of no, he was he he he, he played hockey at Dartmouth. He he jumped on board using me when his junior year there. So I just wow. dated myself because that was probably 10, 15 years ago now. <laughs> people um, people tend to do that on the podcast. <laughs> it, it was right wild. I just um following along he kept in touch a little bit throughout his minor league career chatting oh, and all awesome. of a sudden like i forget how i i think i get an email from him he goes hey by the way started this business everything we worked on has helped me I'm like <laughs> cool man that's that's great you're like what's my percentage mark, mark cuban yeah mark uh, yeah hook me up with cuban a little bit here yeah yeah he should i hope he gave you a shout out on shark tank at least uh, i'm not sure i'm not sure i was front of mind at that time right what's it um yeah, I saw I saw you worked with um, like some some of the Red Bull athletes, oh, yeah. some of the extreme sports. What's it like, even just meeting those guys? What are they like? Well, it's so funny, right? So, I'm not sure. I think about my Red Bull athletes that I've served as extreme athletes because it's Red Bull Air Racing. Like that's where right. I I spent. I forget how many seasons now, um, and it, it's public knowledge that there was. There's a picture of me in the hangar with um, the, the 99 race team, Mike Goulian, who actually um, flies out of Plymouth. And so you think about, I don't know if you've ever seen Red Bull Air Racing, but I'll tell you, you can totally be addicted because um, it, it's cool. It's when guys are fighting off 10 plus G's of force, oh. make a turn, you know, like to me, it was how do you help someone stay calm while they're breathing heavy to not pass out? Right. Right. But what I learned actually from all those guys, it's just so highly professional. Like there was not a thing unsafe about what he did. Like yeah. honestly, probably the safest plane flying for God's sakes, huh. you know, probably safer than a commercial jet, you know, being behind the scenes with the team, just watching how, how Warren Sillers, the mechanic would go through the plane. And to me, what cracked me up is th these planes are literally, they're tiny yeah. and they are like a rocket ship. Are they like gutted? Like the, the bare essentials pretty it's, much. It's, it's a cage and it's a cage and fiberglass around it. Like oh literally for every setup <laughs> while the race was going on is um, they'd ship in basically a cage and then the team would fly in and put together the plane. Damn. Um, start to fish. That was the, I was, uh, I was only in person at one of the races, the one in San Diego. I remember I'm the type of guy that's like, I feel bad if I'm not like helping out or washing the dishes or, or like if I'm at someone else's house. Right. Right. And like, like the, the, um, the team coordinator and the mechanics working on the plane, I'm like, don't offer to help out Adam. You can only ruin a race plane. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, like, he's just a screwdriver. What could I do wrong? I'm like, stay away. Yeah. Stay away. Walk, do, do your job, stay in your lane. Touch nothing. Maybe look at some of the data. Do not offer to help by touching an airplane. Not a good move. <laughs> so frankly, what I learned from him, you know, was just the level of precision and professionalism. You know, yeah. I, I really, um, Mike and I are, are friends to this day and we chop, chat periodically and absolutely professional you yeah know? and that's part of the reason he brought me on as part of the team 
it's not all the teams. And he said, this is just part of what you do to get better. I'd like to learn to get better. You know, he, you keep notebooks. I'll never forget. He loaned it to me the la- last season at the end of the year. He goes, Hey, would you want to check this out? I'm like, what is it? He had notes from every single race all year. Honestly, it was one of the coolest notebooks I've, I've gone through because a, it was fun to see how some of the stuff we talked about made it into it. But someone was just like, Hey, notice this during the practice run, notice that it was just this true learning attack, even though, you know, he's arguably one of the, arguably could be the best pilot in the United States. Wow. Yeah. But always still learning and refining and checking. And to me, that's fascinating. I think in these more extreme areas, you really learn about what professionalism is and what care is. Um, Cause I guess the other extreme sport one could argue I worked in, I worked as part of the UFC and for God's sakes, the camp I was part of, it, it was just about how do you master your craft and understand it? You know, it, it, there was nothing reckless, nothing overtly violent about it. It was just like, Hey, how do I master my craft? It's like at the end of a, at the end of a fight camp, at the end of the fight, you'd be like, okay, what do I have to work on next? What right. do I have to learn next? And that was the approach, just highly professional. I think we forget that. Um, and, and there's an acceptance, right? In both of those sports, there's an acceptance that things could go wrong. Mm-hmm. No, but you make a good point. They are so professional and so prepared that it does become one of the safer things they probably do. Oh, right? Even compared to just us going out and driving. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Well, like when I think about, about, um, UFC, like the fighter I was working with, um, it was, he was like, I don't get in bar fights. I'd kill someone. Right. He goes, I, I would never even think about getting into a fight. Yeah. He goes, I am a martial artist that's trying to perfect my craft. Right. I do not get into fights. Right. Like sometimes we forget that, right? Like even in hockey, hockey enforcers are not fighters. No. You know, they're not bar brawlers. They're doing their job. Right. And they're hired specifically for that. Yeah. And they, they study their craft. They try and learn their craft. It's not a craft I'm going to choose for my life, but you know, there's a, there's a professionalism, especially at the higher levels. Right. Right. Um, Joe Rogan talks a lot about, you know, cause he's the, you know, the big oh, yeah. commentator. He talks a lot about like getting into flow state and especially <laughs> with the UFC fighters. So I, yeah. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Having worked with, worked with one of them. Oh, well, it's so funny. What, what is that like, is that one of the things like they were kind of like, listen, like Dr. Naylor, like I want you to get me into the flow state. They, they say stuff like that. Oh, it's so funny, right? <laughs> it's, uh, you might get a kick out of this. I'm not a huge believer in the flow state. Okay, cool. Well, well, for this reason. Hit me with it. Well, flow states happen when um, when our skills and challenges meet up nicely. Right. And we drop judgment in our life. So it's a very great thing, right? When we're in flow state, everything's going well and we live up to our potential. But we know if we look at the science, that only happens 1%, 5%, a small percentage of the time. Right. So I don't know about you. I step back and go, well, if I want to get more juice from this squeeze, I got to worry about the other time. Right. If you're in flow state, cool. I'm worried about when you're not how we perform. Yeah. And sometimes we forget this. We're chasing the 1%. I'm like, stop chasing the 1%. How do we live with our daily struggle that will make us better? And yeah. ironically, right, if you're a philosopher, you'll go back, wait, though, Adam. If I can do that, I'm more likely to hit flow. I'm like, right. yeah. But I'm not going to just sit there and stare at it. We go, 
let's take care of mastering these skills of non-judgment, mastering these skills of being a curious learner. Yeah. And by the way, it'll show up. I you know, like- also, we got to talk Rogan. Rogan's got a, you know, <laughs> was it? He's, he's got the sensory deprivation tank, like in his back room or something. He's got all yeah, the cool he's got a toys in the 60s and 70s, right? <laughs> like, and God knows what substances he's using to get there, right? So it's like, he, he's going for a little bit different than the competitive flow state. Let's be honest. As, as tough yeah. as he says he is, he's going for a little different kind of flow, if we're clear. Yeah, he's going for a higher being flow. Yeah, exactly. that's a good point. That's definitely a good point. No, it's fine. I, I feel like it's it's a very toughly named uh, state of being, right? Because it sounds very like mystical. Uh, it's cool. It's awesome. It's again, this is where I think differentiates kind of an amateur in the space from yeah. a professional, where it's like flow, the zone. They're all great. They're cool. They're important. Peak experiences are these mythical places you want to be. I hope we all get them periodically. And being able to struggle well is actually the key to being excellent. Yeah. Being able to struggle well without panicking. I like that. Being able to struggle well. like that a lot. You you get struggle, right? We're talking sports. And I don't know if you heard me say it in our previous conversations or whatnot, but we forget that the better one gets at sports, the tougher it gets. Mm. Yeah. It's not like other tasks in life. Like I can type without thinking right now. It doesn't get right. tougher the better I get. But in sports, they're going to roll someone new in front of me. Right. Ah, oh, shoot. So being able to struggle well is actually a huge key. Yeah. That's is that? Do you feel like that's kind of where you start? Then you say, you know, these are the things we're going to struggle with, even when you get better. Yeah. You know, I, I think. I think I start by listening and going slow enough to let people appreciate that struggle is good. You know, yeah. challenge is good, right? It does, right? You see me kind of walking this fine line of the whole flow state thing. So yeah. if you look at Chexay Mihai's work on flow, mm-hmm. what's the equation? Challenge. When challenge matches up with skill, we're more likely to be in flow. Right. So wait a second. To me, I don't worry about the flow. I circle that word challenge. That says challenge is good. Right. How right. often do we fear challenge? Right. If we fear challenge, we can never reach our potential. Because that's that's more or less the limiting factor then, right? Mm-hmm. In optimal performance, if there's if there is no challenge, you're not going to get there. Or, or if you perceive challenge as a threat or a bad thing, right? I can tell you so often in my first meeting notes with any athlete, there's kind of this note about how do we help someone find healthy challenges and view them that way, right? Like this is a healthy challenge. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Let's attack it. Because we often see challenges as threats. Challenge. Right. If challenge is bad, we're in trouble. Okay. And there are some life challenges that are bad. Let's be honest, right? Horrible disease, you know, pandemic's bad, right? <laughs> they, they, there's bad challenge. <laughs> yeah, pandemic's and bad. There's healthy challenge, right? Right. The risk of someone stealing a puck from you when you skate into the offensive zone, that's a healthy challenge. It's not a threat. That's a healthy challenge we got to lean into. Right. Instead of being... Oh crap! No, don't turn it over. Yeah, right. Yeah, Ex- exactly. So it's 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 less about it not being there, right? But it's more so about how you're gonna how you're gonna manipulate it in your mind, right? Or lean or lean into it and appreciate it, because cool. also if we think about it, a lot of the things that cause us anxiousness in sport is the fun stuff. Yeah, that's the fun stuff. Yeah, right. 
we rob ourselves of the fun stuff when we fear challenge. Cool. I like that. Have you seen that kind of want for challenge change as, as years have gone on? Have you seen people being a little bit more maybe nervous or anxious to meeting up with challenge in your career or have you kind of seen an interesting question, right? Um, I'm not sure I've ever thought of it that way. I think I do look closely at our developmental environments. Right. Um, and then we even go back even closer to family Mm -hmm. and are they excessively protective sometimes, right? When in the developmental journey, when we rob someone of challenge, then people won't be able to lean into it later. Right. Right. That's, that's the arguably the, the biggest challenge for a youth sport parent is as a parent, your job is to protect, care for your kid, give them everything in life that you can. And if they're struggling in sport or a healthy struggle, do you let that struggle go on? The answer is you probably should. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, again, I'm really slow to fault parents, right? We've all created this, right? All the elite leagues and this and that says, get on the best team for your kid. If your kid's not on the best team, they'll never be anything in life. Right. But the more I try and um, curate an experience, the less my, my child or my student athlete gets to struggle, the less they get to struggle, the more I'm going to cap their potential, or they're going to have to learn it at some stage in life that, Maybe they don't have to learn it at, hmm. right? Um, so to me, that's where I see it. I think there's a lot of evidence to it. And why I tend to sell, sell people's books pretty well. One of my favorite books out there is The Coddling of the American Mind um, by Greg Lukianoff and John Hype. I look that up. And the subtitle is the key. Yeah. The subtitle is how, um, I think it's something along the lines of how well inte- good intentions but bad ideas led generation astray. Like there's nothing wrong with trying to support and protect your kid. Heck, when in doubt, a parent should lean to that side. You should never abuse or ask your kid to struggle in an uncomfortable way. That's just jerky, like nor should an athletic coach. But we need healthy struggles for growth. We need healthy struggles to reach our potential and to differentiate that's really important. Where do you where do you think a lot of the change is coming from then? Change meaning, like, um, do you see do you see like there being like a focal kind of um, like reason that we've become more um, you know less apt to give give uh, children ch- challenges? Is there um, something kind of guiding that force right now? <laughs> I don't know if I can give a quick answer on that because we've yeah. kind of seen it evolve over time. Right. And now I'm going to get my timing wrong. Like I want to say it was like the nineties where, you know, I, I think, you know what, a lot of it is when we bastardize good social psychological research. So when I go back to like the eighties and nineties, the, the self-concept push or the self-esteem push was misused. Okay. Right. I mean, yeah. Yes, you want someone to feel good about themselves, but not built on a foundation of sand. Right? You shouldn't just be pumping your kids' tires. Right. You should be getting, hey, nice job. You gave a tough effort there. Good job struggling today. But instead, there was this false 
just pump people up by accident. It was well-intentioned. Again, it was all meant as compliments, but it kind of created this dilemma. So then it keeps evolving. Then you're probably at, you add in a lot of, let's face it, if we think sport and exercise, all the entrepreneurial stuff where everyone's like, where's my kid going to school? What's the scholarship they can get? Are they on the right club team? So all of a sudden there's this status tied into it where it's more about status rather than healthy struggle. Mm-hmm. And there's a community challenge, right? Because the sports world is so cluttered. I'm not sure any parent could make good sense of it. Heck, I barely can these days, and that's all I've been living in for 25 years. So to say don't chase that team that will give your kid full playing time and a lot of wins, why is a parent to know better, Mm. right? Because you want right by your kid. So I think now there's this this absolute clutter. And I think it's just this evolution of all these things. It's taken, I think, really good coaches and really good human beings. People start gravitating to, and they start learning a lot from, but to get to those people is really tough because the echo chamber is strong these days. As we say, especially they have social media, everyone's an expert, right? Right, right. It's a darn expert, and how would I know who's a good expert? We, we, it's tough to be a good consumer. There we go. You just got me left, right, in every which way because it is a complicated question. No, I, I think it is a complicated question, and there's so many different nuances. Um, I, I definitely think and you can speak definitely more on this. I definitely think the phones have, have evolved to become so attached to us that it's, you don't even need to get the encouragement from your parents anymore or from your teachers or from your coaches. It's like you said, it's, it's an echo chamber and it's just shouting right back exactly what you want to see. And I think it's the type of encouragement or discouragement we get. Yeah. You know, I was on the phone with a parent, this morning that that was asking if I had room to take on a junior hockey client and the father was like staring at his phone he's watching everyone going I, I got accepted here I got accepted there yeah. it really is actually brutal on our self-esteem the curated world of the of social media and, right. and don't get me wrong there's cool stuff about it right like I, I follow some researchers I like I grab articles from them. Yeah. but there's also this easy to make us feel less than we should be out there definitely and to let's be honest lead us to chase the wrong things in a lot of ways right do i do i look good and does, is my ranking right you know I, I you know me a little bit and i think i have a healthy kind sarcasm i used to all the time in the, in the hallways <laughs> um when bumping into college athletes i used to kindly go oh congratulations you're a preseason all-american good work Right. But that's what's going all through Twitter. Right. Like that doesn't even make sense. A preseason All-American. You didn't even play a game. You didn't even earn it. But we've got this chamber of awards, trophies, rankings. Right. Think about you can pull up rankings every single Monday and figure out who's the best and who's the worst. Like what a shiny object to distract you from going. Did I learn this week? Did I get better? Right. You end up, you know, it's uh, it's bait. It's absolute bait. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's that's some of the blessing and and when you can have kind of an old school coach though too right because it's you know we used to come back into the locker room after a win um and we we could know immediately if if our head coach was disappointed regardless of what if we won right he'd say that wasn't a team win that's all he needed to say um so i i think they're they're i don't know i mean i can't speak for every program but there might just be less of that where it's doesn't matter what the 
quantitative score was we didn't we didn't play well yeah i think the best coaches do that right i I always say the best coaches stay on message right definitely hey did we do a good job sticking to the game plan today how do we do and let's be honest right coaches get distracted by this stuff too yeah right yeah the scoreboard's shining at you all times right social media like it used to be what we used to talk about chat rooms where people would get killed. Now you just get killed on Twitter. Right. right. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you have a weekend, again, I got hockey on the mind right now. Like if you got hockey East weekend where you split, all of a sudden you're getting killed on social media. I'm like, no, that's a fair fight. Like you yeah. split the weekend. Congratulations. You're playing in a tough league. Yeah. Exactly. All of a sudden you feel like an idiot. So then you start railing on your team. We didn't get enough goals rather than going, wait, that was a quality effort or what you said you blow out a team and you forget to go. Did we stick to the game plan? Did we treat it like point night or did we play good hockey? Right. And it takes a lot of discipline to stay on message and off of the scoreboard until the end of the season, get on the scoreboard at the end of the darn season. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, when it matters. And I think that is, I think that's an important message for strength coaches too. I mean, we, the field is is very slowly, but probably it's going to pick up, turning into more of a, a sports science oriented field where we want to get numbers on almost everything that we can. And I think I mean, you can't measure anything without having numbers. Everyone, everyone, sure. I think can agree with that. But when we get caught up in numbers that you know are so dependent on on other factors going on, uh, besides what's going on in a controlled environment of the weight room which we think is controlled, but that's another story. But uh, um, it's, you know, it's when you have too many numbers and you're too, you're too uh, focused on, are they improving rather than, all right, you know, let's let's revisit this. Maybe we can tweak something. Or how are they supposed to improve? Right. Right. Like I I think we're in, in this, this moment where there's a blessing and a curse of feedback and analytics right? Feedback's yeah. helpful, but if you don't understand how to give it or when you're giving it, it's a problem. Analytics, we got more access to numbers, but if you don't actually know what you're looking at, it's just a shiny object. Yeah, You go wild, right? I actually read an article this morning when I woke up, they were looking at development of motor skills where basically what happens is when you start to learn a motor skill, the first two sessions looks really good. Mm-hmm. Session three, four, five look really bad. And then they look really good, seven, eight, nine, ten. So, but now if you don't understand that and you're staring at the numbers during session yeah, three, yeah. four, and five, you're going to screw up the athlete. And you're going to think that you're don't not. Yeah. You're going to think bad about yourself. You're right. not going to. So, when you say sports scientists come in, it is, but someone actually has to be a scientist. They have to be brave enough to go, no, their numbers are supposed to be off this week. That's right. cool. We need, to be, we need to be data collectors and you know analyzers it can't yeah. it can't be it, we can't just collect numbers for the sake of collecting numbers because that's that's only going to bring hurt right I, I i used to teach um a research methods class um when i was at boston university and i'll never consider myself a hardcore researcher but i love teaching that class and i loved mm-hmm. when students walked in what they walked away from it it's funny it won't be a surprise to you tons of strength coaches would take it yeah. and they'd at first go ah, i don't like research Right. And then they go, wait, no, this is about understanding the world I walk in objectively. Like just to be able to make that flip to go, no, I, like I'm at the point where 
I think everyone should take a basic research methods class, not because they're going to be researchers, but so they can understand the data they're being given. Because hmm. I think yeah. so often it's like, oh, pretty, and it's a graph. It must be right. <laughs> right? A good coach should be questioning half the wearables being sold to them. Definitely. You know, because, like, are they valid and reliable? There's science to say a bunch are, and there's science to say it's a bunch that aren't, especially right. if it's not attached to the athlete right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, like you said, you can't just look at a graph and say that it's pretty. Yeah. You'll make athletes worse, but that's a, that's a big lift. That's asking for next level inquiry. Um, it'll help the profession. Professionals are going to be real professionals. Yeah, I think it absolutely will. I think it's going to be a little bit of a, it's going to take some time for us to really nail down what is absolutely important. And like you said, you know, what's, what's only going to hurt us, especially even from a psychological standpoint, Uh, because at the end of the day, like they have to go out and perform. And the only number that really matters is, is if they want or not like in that scenario. There's a lot of noise, right? Some of it goes to asking good questions, right? Yeah. You know, it's uh, you'll get a kick out of this years ago serving northeastern hockey um there was an athlete that wasn't recovering well yeah how are we just wouldn't look like you're recovered and i knew the athlete well i'm sitting around talking to the strength coach guys ah he's just kidding when we put him on the bike his numbers never go down he never recovers yeah and it was funny and this is the key to having these cross-disciplinary discussions i just started laughing i'm like of course he doesn't recover he doesn't know he's supposed to it's like (laughs) what I'm like, well, I met this athlete. We were working on with him during games. This athlete, you'll get a kick out of it. Um, he, he was in one of the military academies and transferred over to um, to Northeastern. He was also a crab boat fisherman in Alaska. So he's a tough guy. Oh, yeah. He literally felt you were supposed to be on edge an entire hockey game. Huh. He didn't know you're allowed to breathe between shifts. Yeah. So, of course, it looked like he wasn't recovering because he thought you were never supposed to recover. Right. He would never breathe. Right. But if you can't step back and ask the curious questions, it looks like, oh, he can't recover well. Like, no, he perfectly could. I remember looking at him, you know, between shifts, you're allowed to sit down and breathe. He's like, you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> like, dude, you probably should. He's like, oh, okay. And very coachable. He started yeah. doing that, and all of a sudden, his recovery numbers changed. That's awesome. Because you didn't ask, you, didn't, you forgot to ask the right questions. Right, right. Does he understand the instructions? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or does he understand that it's actually why it's valuable? Because he thought valuable was grit your teeth, grind like crazy, crush people. He was great at it. And breathe between crushing people. Oh, okay. Right. And in that scenario, it wasn't even a wasn't a mental skill he needed. He just needed someone to tell him. (laughs) And it solved the physical stuff too. Like to me, it was high comedy. It got to be after that year um the coach would share the performance testing the team on and there'd be one or two that are off like oh i know that dude's personality he's physically fine let's just tell him this okay (laughs) that's too funny you know like i swear people are like putting him on bikes more or this and i'm like dude don't pull money it's not a recovery issue yeah just tell me like issue (laughs) yeah that's too funny i'm sure there's so many like that out there though yeah it's riot I do before we before we end, I do want to ask you one question that this has been official, huh? This is the official podcast. I like this. You're good at this. Oh, thank you. I mean, this is just fun for me. I enjoy yeah. this. I just like talking to people. Uh it's more for me than, than anything else. So 
Yeah. I mean, I appreciate you wanting to come on here. Um, but this was, this is something that I think a lot of people struggle with and I definitely struggled with it leaving uh, college, but, um, you know, athletic identity, like leaving, especially from, um, you know, division, even division two, II, division three scenario where it was your identity. It's how you walked around the school. And the reality was you, you were really there academically. Um, so how do you, how do you approach the post athletic identity and kind of transitioning athletes into whatever this pandemic world is, especially now? Yeah. Um, like just a couple thoughts I throw out there, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's official term or official idea. I'm always a big believer in student athletes, athletes in general almost need multiple identities as weird as that sounds like yeah yeah you can be a student and athlete um actually i i I think the first article i've seen yet rowers that are actually good students tend to be better rowers and better teammates let me guess like yeah i again it came upon my twitter feed i went and read i was like first time it went from philosophical you should be a student athlete to here is data that's awesome. Because right? you collaborate, cooperate better. So I think having those multiple identities is important, and that's okay. Sometimes we forget that. right? I always fear when we de-identify someone, like when we refer to athletes by their, their, their jersey number. I'm like, they're a human being, right? Yeah. They're the, the football player that's also a biology major. To me, that's really impressive, deceptively tough to do. So I think letting yourself have a couple is healthy. I think as someone goes through college, and we see this all the time, you know, make realize that you can have friends that are outside your team. Like sometimes we, we don't have friends outside our team because we're like, oh, dude, I don't know how to talk to people. I'm afraid of people. Right. But it's amazing to watch these people that de- develop these robust social networks that helps with it. The other thing I'll put out there, though, transition takes time. You know, yeah. if we look at all the research of life transitions, life transitions can easily take two to five years. Yeah. So allowing one to transition out of it is important, too. It's not like a magic light switch. You know, it, it's got to be seen as a journey I'm walking towards. It's not like I'm going to magically go, I love my first job. Maybe, but it might be, I'm going to try this on for size and see what the next one is. And then there's the figuring out what is sports in my life? What do I want my sport to be in my life? Which I think is tough. I, many years ago, I, I worked with um, a Croatian kid. You know, he was a pro tennis player. I was living in Florida at the time. And he actually somehow in, in Croatia had gotten his degree, like a master's degree in coaching or something. I remember sitting with him and he was old. He, he got his ranking pretty high, as high as he wanted, but he was old enough that it was probably worth thinking about retiring. Hmm. And I was a young professional and I said, you could go into coaching. He goes, I don't want to coach. I'm a tennis player, not a tennis coach. Hmm. And that's an important note. Cause I think sometimes we tell athletes, just coach what you play. I don't think athletes want to necessarily do that. Right. Right. Like I'm a player, not a coach. And I think that's important for us to notice people at support to go. You're allowed to explore stuff outside of it and maybe play on your own, find a high level league to play in if you want. But I think sometimes we automatically, I think we see this in advising. Oh, you love sports. So you automatically should be dot, dot, dot. That, that's bad advising. Good advising is you're allowed to explore for a while. Right. And yeah. figure out how you'd like to keep sport in your life. Yeah. And I, I think that's important even more so now with seniors that decided not to come back 
purely because yeah. of the pandemic. I mean, now they're, they never had any, not that a closure always helps, but there was, there was no closure. So I think that's, that's an important piece and you're allowed to discover something else about yourself beyond. God, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Doc, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate this. You're not going to ask the pizza question? That was my favorite question. Oh, okay. We are. Oh, for God's <laughs> How are you not asking the pizza question? All right, Dr. Naylor, what's your favorite pizza topping? And you know what? Because, because you're from Connecticut, too, I have to ask what your favorite pizza place is. Okay, so this is going to be a curveball. So, yes, go. born and raised in Connecticut, but outside of Hartford. So did not appreciate the good pizza scene in the New Haven pizza. So let's just put it that way. I do not have good Connecticut pizza appreciation. So now this is a complicated question. What is your favorite pizza topping? So I will start. Go-to pizza topping, any pizza shop, wherever, pepperoni, let's just do it. Cool. But now, wait a second. So now I'm going to move up towards you in the main area. You were thinking so, about this. Oh, it was my favorite question because I think I've got maybe <laughs> a pizza issue in my life, you know, while you have a coffee issue. If I start moving up towards you, I don't know if you've been to um, the Rathskeller in Portsmouth. I actually have not, no. If you want a good pub pizza, so there's the pub pizza. Yeah. Like I'll tell you, if it's a pub pizza, I'm going kitchen sink often. Okay. Or I will go for their clam there, oh. you know, which is – I don't. I rarely go for the clam, but tell Same me, the got great stuff. But then, if we go a little bit further north, yeah, to Portland area that you know, Otto's my baby. Yeah, Otto can serve, Otto can serve me just about anything. And I'll eat it. Um, and it usually has some sort of a salami or a pork product. I love it. Otto's. Otto's is good. Hopefully, they'll sponsor this after after you said that. <laughs> I, I think they should. You know, it's uh, they, they had a few in Boston. I was happy when they came to the Boston area, but still. Portland, you know, the, the Portland location is still the best. Yeah. The one across the bridge over, and I think it's technically South Portland, isn't yep. too bad either. But downtown Portland, that, that's Hell my yeah. point. All right. You hear that? You heard it here first. Doc, Doc Nails likes autos. I love it. That's all. <laughs> we go. Maybe we got your sponsorship out of it. At least one free pie or something. <laughs> um, no, it's, I actually, my, my, my father will kill me, but I actually don't like Pepe's pizza. Um, um, yeah, no, it's okay um my favorite yeah, pizza back home i don't know if this was around when you were there um uh, what's it called uh, i gotta look it up now okay I look it up hold on i just had it on the tip of my tongue again you were in the neck of the woods the good pizza over in the over just south of the pioneer valley you know i'm not sure the pizza scene was quite as good <laughs> uh luna's pizza in simsbury oh, yeah yeah i know luna's okay good that that is one of my That's favorite pizza favorite? places because i grew up in simsbury so now all of a right. sudden i never thought of i guess i didn't have a good pizza appreciation because like, right next to luna's was a chinese place i feel yep. like i ordered from all the time yeah oh yeah and then the maple tree had it probably had a decent pub pizza but i didn't appreciate the pub pizzas then yeah i i, I got it pretty recently maybe like uh like a month or two ago and i we used to go there a lot when i was a kid but yeah, you gotta try it again. It's it's some good pizza. I gotta go back and see if anyone remembers me in Simsbury and find a friend to go to pizza with. <laughs> it's it's a sauce heavy pizza, so it's. Okay. I think they reverse it. I think they do like um, cheese first and sauce on top. Now, because now now you got me reminiscing. I only remember Antonio's out by the soccer field. Yeah, you play youth soccer and you go get pizza there. And Antonio's was a lovely post soccer place, but I'm not yeah. sure I'd say it was amazing pizza i think we would do end of season soccer parties there actually yeah that was a big thing yeah got it going 
Yeah, Antonio's is good. But yeah, you got to go back and try Luna's. Okay. Yeah. It's on the list. Are you trying to itch for a sponsorship from them too? Um, I'm anyone that has food and wants to sponsor me is welcome okay. to sponsor. Yeah. Or coffee. Coffee. Coffee too. Coffee yeah. too. Let's be honest. Thank you so much, Doc. I really Let's appreciate say, it. I'm, I'm, no, I'm happy to catch you. I hope we catch up again soon. Let's do this again. I'm, I'm, I, I want to have repeat guests. I think that'll be fun. As long as I didn't offend anyone too much, um, <laughs> I, I, I have a blast coming back. You know, it's good to see you. I appreciate what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. Let's just we'll call and catch up too. I'd like to do that. that sounds good. We'll, we'll get a slice. We'll get a slice at auto sometime. Cool. I love it. Hey, have a great day, man. See you, Doc. Bye.